Good morning. Today, uh, let's turn in our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, but one thing we'll see next week in Revelation chapter 5 is uh, a phrase that John uses to describe God's people. We've already seen it in chapter 1. That's the fact that we as God's people are a royal priesthood, or sometimes it's rendered a kingdom of priests. And so today I want just to look at that concept as it uh, relates to what's going on in Hebrews. There's some similarities uh, with what this congregation or congregations are going through. Uh, with some of the things we've seen with the seven churches, but we'll focus our time today in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verses 19 through 25. And today, uh, I want us to consider, as God's people, our calling as that priesthood. And we'll see that we're, get, we're called to get close to a holy God, who then calls us to get close to an unholy people, and we're motivated uh, because of the coming holy day as it gets closer to us. Uh, before we pray and read this as we go along, I do want to encourage you to come back tonight. Uh, Pastor D will continue our series about the life of Elisha. So you want to come back for that and stay for the ice cream afterwards. And also tonight we'll be commissioning Catherine Carson as she prepares to go to Camp Westminster so let's uh, pause again and ask for God's blessing on his word. Lord, we come before you today grateful um, of what we've just sung about, that we have a great high priest whose name is love. And uh, Lord, we don't understand why he would love us, but Lord, we are grateful that he does and grateful that you've made that known to us in your word and through his life, his ministry, his death and resurrection. Lord, we thank you for this calling. Lord, we are insufficient to carry it out. So we're reminded yet again, Lord, that we need you. Lord, I'm reminded that I'm insufficient uh, this morning in my weakness to be able to explain your word. So Lord, uh, we look to you to help me in my weakness. But Lord, we also look for your spirit to help us all to understand your word, to believe it. Uh, to live this out. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your spirit. We pray, Lord, as we come today, that he will renew our minds to listen well. Father, there's many things, um, many things on our hearts and our minds, and we're glad that you care about those things, but we pray that those things would not distract us in listening and focusing on you. And we thank you, Lord, uh, for your promise, your commitment to sanctify your people through your word. So we look to you expectantly for that. Lord, we're thankful also that you have committed to using your word to reach those who don't know you. We pray that, Lord, even today, if there's anyone here that does not know you, Lord, that you will use today, Lord, draw them to yourself. Uh, but Lord, most of all, we want to see Jesus Christ, uh, we want to see him lifted up and cherished and glorified. Lord, we need him. And so renew our joy in him, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, several of you have told me about experiences that you've had where you've lived in a different part of the country and you have uh, been witness to an earthquake. 
Maybe it's not been a situation where you saw the ground caving around you, but you were in a location where you felt that tremor deep underneath you, only to learn later that that was a tremor related to an earthquake. I've not had that experience, as some of you have, but last year I, it felt close. I, we had uh, a season of rain last spring, and uh, one particular morning there was a thunderstorm, and I remember I was up early, I was downstairs, and uh, this thunderstorm uh, took hold, and the, the thunder was so deep and forceful that it shook our house. I've never had that experience. The, the ground, the floor shook. I heard the windows rattle. I heard other items throughout the house rattle. Even though I'm an adult, it, it was unnerving uh, to, to go through that. It was just a brief experience, but it was unnerving. And I had to remind myself that, yes, I don't know how this may play out, but I had to remind myself I belong to the one who controls that. As it turned out, that time of the year last year, I'd been reading through the book of Exodus. And I'd been reading recently about how Israel had come to Mount Sinai. And we're all familiar with that section of the Bible. We know the main um, theme there where Moses comes down after the Exodus, that redemption from Egypt. Remember, he comes down from the mountain meeting with God, with God's word for his people. Remember that, but... Maybe we don't remember, and the writer of Hebrews talks about this, that it was an overwhelming experience. The ground rumbled. There was thunder and lightning, and the people were undone with fear. And as they should be, this was a holy God that had come near to an unholy people. And yet in the midst of all that uncertainty and that chaos and that fear, this holy God who was so different from the people, he was indicating to the people that he wants them to be near him. He loves them. He wants them to come close to him. But at that point, not too close. Or they could lose their life. And so we learn, you remember in Exodus, how Aaron, Moses' brother, he gets that special calling to go and minister to the people, but also to go behind the curtain where no one else could go except for Aaron and his sons and future generations. And so although God had come close to his people, this holy God, the people were reminded what's been called a, a, um, a lethal glory. Because God's glory was lethal. You remember Aaron's own sons, two of them went in when they were not supposed to, and they lost their lives. But as the people learned about what, what God was going to do in the future, and they were dealing with all this fear and uncertainty, God reminded them of a special calling He had for them, not just for Aaron, but He tells them, you for me will be a kingdom of priests. And we got a glimpse of that this morning of what that would look like. In our uh, Declaration of Truth, Psalm 67, the whole people are drawing on what Aaron would say to the people. This blessing of, uh, of God's face shining on His people. And we sung about that. And we saw fruit of that here today. We saw these that God has raised up from our midst to go forward. Go forward. 
is part of that priesthood. And we saw that in our, our call to worship, how we're called as God's people, all of us, to declare His excellencies, His glories to others, to tell about how we were called out of darkness into His light. So we're all called to that. But today I want us to think about another component of that, that priesthood that we share and that we don't often think about. And that's the ministry we have to each other. Yes, Israel was called as a nation, as God's people, to reflect Him as a priesthood to those around them. But they were also called to look after each other, to minister to each other. And so I want us to first consider that God calls us to get closer to a holy God. As we come to Hebrews, and we think about what's going on here, the writer reminds us that all those sacrifices that Aaron would offer behind the curtain, those that his sons would offer later, that very role of ministering on their behalf, all those things, all those animals, that role, were pointing to Jesus our great high priest whose name is love, and his once-for-all sacrifice on the cross. And so as a result, the writer is talking to people who, it seems, aren't quite convinced that that's God's final word on those things. They're struggling. Like the churches we've read about in Revelation, it appears that they have undergone some opposition. They know people who've been persecuted. They know people who've had property taken. Connected to being part of Jesus' people. And so he wants to remind them today, this is our calling and it is a wonderful thing. So let's look at, first of all, this idea that we're called uh, to come close, to get close to a holy God. Uh, beginning in verse 19 of chapter 10. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean, from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. God wants this to happen. A holy God is deeply concerned that his people get close to him. The writer draws on the language of the, the tabernacle and the temple and, and going behind the, the veil. Yes, God was is omnipresent. And yes, we see in the Old Testament, people could pray to God by themselves, away from the temple and tabernacle. But that priest had that special, unique access behind the veil. And the writer says, this is for all of us, and God wants you to know him more intimately than before. And I want to remind you, he says, of the lengths he's gone to to make sure you know this. He's given His own Son 
The Son has given Himself on the cross. And we remember when He gave His last breath how that temple veil in Jerusalem was torn supernaturally. And the writer is drawing on that and calling us to come close and to know this, this holy God who is to be feared and, and reverenced, but can be known. It's no longer just once a year. It's every day, all day. My father used to liken our dining room uh, to this situation. Uh, when my sister and I were growing up, we were not allowed to go into the dining room except maybe once a year when grandparents would come over for a holiday or something like that or Easter lunch. We were forbidden from going in there. And many of us can relate to that. My, my mom, she has a lot of uh, family-related things in, in the dining room. Things have been passed down from her mom, made out of china, and there's uh, nice upholstery on the chairs at the table. We cannot go in there. But then something changed. With that coming into the world of this particular child, their first grandchild, things changed. <laughs> but there had to be a provision, there had to be a covering made. This is still true for my kids. We can now go in there, but the grandchildren cannot unless my mom had taken the initiative to put down coverings on that upholstery over those chairs. So they have free access to be part of the family and to experience a great deep love for them. But they can't just go in there on their own. There had to be provision made on their behalf. And that's what God has done for us. Notice that the writer, he starts out in verse 19, brothers, and by implication, sisters. The father is calling his family to come and feast in his presence, to know unspeakable joy, to know that we are his children and need not be afraid of being destroyed before a holy God. He's made provision for us He's given us a covering. We go into His glorious, His lethal glory, but we're covered because He took the initiative to provide for us. And that, that's our calling today. If we're struggling with doubt, how can I possibly come close to this holy God in light of what I just did this morning or what I thought about or what I did last night? He reminds you, child of God, I've got this covered. You can come close to me. I want you to come close. And so with this is a calling. It's not just individual Christians come and know the the depths of this eternal God and His love for us, as marvelous as that is, that, that's where it all begins, as we come close to a holy God, He calls us then to move out and get close to an unholy people. Now, certainly we see that in missions. But in context, He's talking about getting close to each other. Now, yes, we are holy. We are covered by the blood of Christ. 
But Martin Luther reminds us, by nature, we're unholy. Martin Luther, where he lived in Germany, in the summertime, he would uh, drive by in his carriage or horse-drawn wagon, and he would see uh, these large piles of what we'll call natural fertilizer as he, drove by, as he rode by these farms, big, huge piles that just littered the landscape. Not only was it offensive, but in the summertime, uh, with the heat baking down on that, it was an offensive scene all the way around. But Luther said, in the wintertime, something changed because God provided a covering through snow. We no longer were exposed to the offensiveness of what those mounds really are. Luther said, that's, that's true of us. By nature, we are offensive to a holy God, but he's covered us through the righteousness and the blood of his son. But we're reminded as we get to know other Christians, we still act unholy. We still act like we used to. But yet God delights to move us out and get engaged with the unholy people. And so he says in verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Many of you can relate to my backyard in the sense you can look out and, and you see this discouraging, depressing reminder of these, these patches, of these bald patches. No matter what you do in the backyard, you still have these patches where it doesn't seem to take root. No matter what you do, there's still that reminder. Something's not quite right there. So recently, Rebecca and I decided to invest and doing something about that. So we had some specialists come and they applied treatment and did a number of things, put down some fresh sod. And so what they did is they did not put sod on top of existing sod. They put it next to existing grass. And you've got to be very intentional about that or you'll kill the existing grass. And so with, with care and with regular watering and being careful in the way I cut the grass, we're finally starting to see that pay off. And so last night, Andrew and I were in the backyard, and he pointed to me this one area that I admit I was the most skeptical about. He's like, Dad, remember just a couple of weeks ago how barren it was over here? And I'm like, exactly. In fact, that particular area is arguably the finest uh, flourishing area in the whole backyard. So I can look out again this morning and see, yes, it is starting to grow together. It's beautiful. It reminds us of God's hand in creation. And that is, is true of us as well as God's people. We, look at, we can look all around us and we see flourishing life. We saw it this morning in the mission moment. We can look at the people next to us and we find flourishing life. But then we see other sections that should cause us concern, but perhaps after a while we're just resigned to the fact this is how it's going to be. Or it's going to be too much work on my part, too much investment on my part 
to get engaged with what's lacking there. And I'm talking about what we see in every age group here at CMPC. If we look closely, not even that closely, we'll find whether it's elementary school, whether it's middle school, high school, young adults, mountain climbers. If we look past the people right in front of us, we'll see them in the corner. They're not connected to the flourishing grass. And I confess, at times, even though I'll see people here regularly, I'm concerned. I'm thinking, you know, that's just how it's going to be. And I've been proven wrong about that. I've been glad to see people who've been here for a long time just suddenly own it. And get involved and get engaged. And, and it's not just about people just stepping in and people talking to them. I've seen people minister to others. Having been here for a while and, and concerned about others. And getting into their lives. And that's a wonderful thing. I'll walk down the hallway and I'll see a conversation taking place. And I can just overhear on the way by. And there, there's some serious things being discussed. I'm like... I didn't even know they knew each other. That's wonderful. That's highly encouraging. And so here's why it matters. Here's, here's a reason to be encouraged about this. Not just talking about but here's why it matters on a daily basis. Come back and, and look at verse 22. And the writer says, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean. And then in verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Here's something I just want to show you visually just for a moment. That thing is highly encouraging. Everybody agrees that the rhyme of Hebrews is referring to this passage from Ezekiel. Ezekiel, the Lord promises through him one day, through the new covenant, he says, you're going to be cleansed from your sins, and I'm going to do it. He says, I'm going to sprinkle clean water on you. That's what the priest did. And he says, I will give you a brand new heart. And so, when we look at Hebrews today, everyone agrees, yeah, the writer of Hebrews is picking up on that. We all know the writer of Hebrews is concerned about the new covenant. He's exactly drawing on this, saying, this has come, this is happening. Now, that, that's a cool footnote in your Thompson Chain reference Bibles. It's cool to see how that all comes together. But here's why it matters today and why, why it matters tomorrow. In Ezekiel, here, here's what God goes on to say. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to obey my rules. This is a people that done nothing but rebel from God. I'm going to change you from the inside out, he says, through my spirit... I'm going to cleanse you, and I'm going to personally move inside of you to do this. Unfortunately, a lot of times we make the connection on the top columns. But here's what Ryan Hebrews goes on to say, we've just read. This is why it's so encouraging to me. He says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Now, yes, the top columns, they match with some of the words, but from, the con from a conceptual level, Here's what I think the writer of Hebrews is telling us. As God promised to work in us to move, to follow Him, we're part of the process. Yes, His Spirit is absolutely central, but He's using us 
in that process, as we get engaged in people's lives and we understand their struggles, their, their concerns and their doubts, God uses us to get into their life and urge them on to following Him. So whether it's obeying my rules in Ezekiel or moving to, to good works in Hebrews, it's the same thing. But God uses the likes of you and me, whether you're in first grade or you're a mountain climber, if you're in Christ, you're part of this amazing calling to be His priest. That's our challenge. And that's, that's exciting to think about. That's wonderful. And so, yeah, we like doing that. We all want to be used by the Lord when it comes to people that we have an existing friendship with or we have a lot in common with. That's easy. Man, that's, I, yeah, I look forward to that. The challenge is when we see that section in the corner of the backyard that's not connected to the flourishing life. And as we get close to that, that corner of the backyard and we see there's no connection there, we realize, okay, yeah, this is going to involve a lot of work. I don't know if I've got this time. I don't know if I'm really up for this investment. Remember, God calls us as his people to get connected and get closer to unholy people, people that are struggling. People here aren't cer certain that Jesus is worth it. There's all kinds of issues in their lives. Now, God's promised we will persevere. If we're in Christ, we will make it to the finish line. But the writer is telling us we're part of that process of getting them to the finish line. And so... Um, I've heard people say in the past, well, we don't have a whole lot in common, or you know, that person just seems sort of socially awkward, I'm not, I'm not sure. I've had someone tell me, they said, I am socially awkward, I recognize that. But what struck me in that conversation is that believer was talking about seeking people on the margins here. And that is convicting and challenging and encouraging all at the same time. This is our calling. It's never promised to be easy. Yes, we, we cherish those relationships that are easy because of our common interest. But God calls us to go after those in the corners, on the edge, that need to be brought closer into the life. And so he says... A key component of this, in verse 25, is not neglecting to meet together. And many of us have heard that verse used to mean every time the church doors are open, you be here or you're not a Christian or something like that. Of course it refers to gathering regularly for corporate worship. Absolutely. But this is not about just pursuing programs, about being busy. That's not what this is about at all. It's far more important that we're deeply invested in lives and relationships that it means being here for every single thing we do. Even this morning, I talked to a faithful brother who's tired, who's weary, who's hurting because of some of the circumstances he is facing. 
all around us, there are smiling people who are hurting. And so the writer is calling us to get close to God's people. We have to be intentional about it because it's easy to, to miss. And staff meetings sometimes will have a situation where we're talking about attendance and about newcomers and visitors. And at some point in that conversation, we'll realize, oh, we haven't seen you know, so-and-so. And we missed it. It's not intentional, but we'll miss someone falling through the cracks. And certainly we want to be all about that. The staff and the leadership want to be about caring for the flock. And while the writer does go on later at the end of this letter to, to talk about the importance of the church leadership, notice here he's talking to all of us, not just leadership that's recognized, not just visible leadership. This is for all of God's people to be concerned about, well, wait a minute, I haven't seen so-and-so. Many of us sit near each other regularly. That's a wonderful thing. That's a great way to gauge, well, wait a minute. What's going on in their life? Now, obviously, some people can't be here because of health reasons. And that, that's been going on even before COVID. But I know several who faithfully tune in and who regularly pray. They get the emails. They pray regularly. They're connected. And people check in on them. So there's a twofold motivation here. We're motivated because... The one true God, the holy God, lethally holy God, calls us to know Him. There's no greater joy than knowing Him and belonging to Him. He's made provision for us to get close to Him and not fear. We have this high calling to be His instruments, what Paul Tripp calls instruments in the Redeemer's hands, to get close to unholy people and to serve and to love them and care for them. What an amazing encouragement that is, and knowing and going forward, I don't have it all together. I may say something wrong. I may forget something, but, but God's at work in me to, to accomplish his plans. So we're motivated, motivated by what he's already done for us, but we're also motivated as we get closer to the holy day. So we're called to get close to a holy God. We're called to get close to an unholy people, and we're motivated also as we get closer to the holy day. He says in verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. That word encourage, it can mean comfort or console. And it also can mean exhort. Sometimes we need to have the truth spoken to us in love. And one of the motivating factors here is that we see this, this day. Our English translations have a capital D, this, this coming day. We, we see at the end of the chapter, it's the day where God brings about His promises in the fullest sense. It's the day that we, you'll see at the end of chapter 9 when Jesus comes back to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. And if we're, in God's, people, if we're God's people, we ought to be afraid of that day. It will be a fearful day for many, unfortunately, who are not in Christ. But we as God's people should not be afraid. When I was uh, much younger, small child, my father's siblings, his brother and sister, they were scattered over the state of South Carolina because of their jobs. And so 
we, we saw our aunts and uncles and cousins probably one time a year in those really early years of my life uh, at my grandparents' house. And probably the earliest memory I have of doing that is when my sister Michelle, uh, she's probably about two, and uh, my dad's brother, Uncle Gene, he's a big guy, he's a large guy, and he had a very large beard on top of it. And I remember he would get down when he would see us and he'd come and hug us, and he would, he would reach out his hands to my sister. She was terrified by him. But he was smiling and he was speaking to her gently. But in her mind, her two-year-old mind, my uncle was wholly other than her. Not only was he towering over her, but this beard, she didn't know what to make of that. And so she ran from him. This, this day that many people look forward to was a day of fear and dread. That's not true of us and God's family. Yes, God is holy, absolutely so. And he's obviously very deeply concerned about the manner in which we live our life. But a central part of that life is getting closer to him. And then an overflow of that joy and love that we experience in getting closer to him. He moves us, he uses us to love others. And to serve them on his behalf. As we get people to come and get back engaged and come closer to God. We are truly instruments in the Redeemer's hands. As chapter 9 says, that's the day of salvation. And as God uses us to bring people in deeper fellowship with God. God's using us to, to complete that salvation process. We're told in chapter 7 that Jesus lives to save those who come to God through him. He prays for his people. He, he lives to save his people. And as we're engaged in light of this upcoming day, and we're bringing people deeper and closer to him, it's part of that process in which he completes our salvation Paul tells Timothy, watch your life and watch your doctrine closely because in doing so, you will save those who hear you. That's, that's somewhat scandalous to hear. I mean, Paul is repeatedly in that letter talking about how God is our Savior, Christ is our Savior. And yet, he reminds Timothy, he reminds us, God saves his people through the, the ministry and the gifting of his people engaged in others. That's a high calling. And so as we close out today, we're going to be faced with just yet a reminder again of the need to water, the need to, to uh, cultivate what God is doing in our midst, to make sure that everyone around us is experiencing this flourishing life that can only be in Christ. Yes, they're in Christ, but there's not a connection there. I'm, I'm guilty of failing in that. I, I, I gravitate towards people that I already have a friendship with. We're all like that. It's understandable. But that's our calling today as God's priesthood. Having spent time in his holy presence to move forward, to engage our brothers and sisters. As we anticipate the day when all these struggles will be brought to an end. In the meantime, God is using us to prepare us 
for that great day. So let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you that uh, you have given us your word. We thank you, Lord, you've given us your Son and your Spirit. And Lord, we're reminded of this high calling, this amazing thing that you would use us as your instruments, as your hands and your feet to, to minister not only to the nations and to the lost, but Lord, to minister to each other. Lord, I confess it's, it's frightening sometimes to think about what this might mean for me. We struggle with unanswered questions about what might, this might look like to engage those around us. But Lord, move us. Move us closer to you, Lord, so that out of that renewed fellowship, that, that great joy of knowing you, Lord, Lord, you use us mildly to engage those. Help us to be aware of them. Many times, Lord, we, we just simply aren't aware. We overlook. So, Lord, bring people into our path and use us. Use them as well. May everyone here, Lord, know that they truly are part of the family of God. So, Lord, our great desire is that you would do all this for your glory, that people would see it's not of us, but, Lord, it's ultimately of you. And so, Father, for us in our various struggles, whether we're on the margin or whether we've just simply have never thought about this or overlooked it or even shirked it, Lord, bring us together, closer to you and to each other. And so, Father, we commit all this to you expectantly. In Jesus' name, amen.